This is an ABC podcast. We harvest, we ferment, we gel. We gel. We gel. He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is going to be. You won't know until the end. And that is the ominous and slightly menacing sounds of the new film, The Menu, a movie that quite literally confronts the idea of the death of fine dining. But as it turns out, Jeremy Story Carter, this film has preempted a a bigger conversation that's now rumbling around the world and here in Australia about what the future of fine dining is. So just this month, perhaps the world's most famous restaurant, Noma in Copenhagen, announced that it will close. And its revered founder, its chef, Renee Redzebi, said their particular model of fine dining simply does not work anymore and that the high-end food industry as a whole sort of needs a complete rethink. Some people may say, well, good riddance. That idea of spending thousands on a meal in these gilded settings, it's probably quite obscene to a lot of people at the moment. Well, to quote the Spectator magazine in the UK with an article that was titled Noma and the Death of Fine Dining, so they're not mincing their words there, the quote was, in this era of obsessive authenticity and sentimentality, fine dining feels passe. It's more that it's revolting. It's grotesque. A vulgar performance of the kind of wealth and values we no longer want to see. I know. Hardcore, hey? So would it it matter if fine dining did die out here? Is there more to lose than we realise? Well, the global fine dining scene is sort of confronting two major challenges. So in a world that has experienced a pandemic, does this idea of fine dining spending hundreds, even more on food feel even appropriate? Mm. You know, do, do people even feel comfortable sitting in a room for hours and being fussed over by waiters? But the other challenge is even when you're charging in the hundreds, that actually doesn't necessarily equate to profit. Mm. When you're employing this small army of chefs, you know, when the expectations are that, that things look and feel beautiful, even sort of opulent, that actually comes at a great cost. And in the current climate, those margins may actually soon stop making sense yep. if they even make sense uh, right now. And yet for all that, Rish, I actually do think we stand to lose something if it all goes away. I know. It has a place in my heart as well, and I'm not sure what that was, and I'm so torn by this conversation because if it does disappear, do we lose to... You know, do we stand to lose something great mm. and unique? In particular for regional Victoria, which now has some of the finest restaurants in the world, has put tiny towns on the map and entire town economies are, are based on one particular venue. Those flow-on impacts from suppliers to tourism are huge. Yeah, so is there a place for high-end fine dining still? Does it still kind of serve a purpose even? And who is going to these places. Maybe it's you. Maybe you save and you save and you save in order to experience it. Or to go back to that quote, do you find it revolting, grotesque, (laughs) a vulgar performance (laughs) of the kind of wealth and values we no longer want to see? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story, Carter Regional National Reporter with you. Jeremy, back in 2000, Mm -hmm. the 2000s, I was so that person that begged, borrowed and stole. Well, I didn't really steal. I borrowed a lot of money from my mum in order to go to high-end fine dining. And I feel like in 2000, it was kind of at its peak. You know, mm-hmm. the celebrity chefs were almost had rock and roll status. It's, it had this change and this shift. You no longer had to borrow a jacket from the jacket cupboard in the, in the restaurant in order to get a table. You rocked in in ripped jeans and it was such a thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. and we spent spent money we didn't have in order to go and we loved it but now I couldn't tell you the last time I I don't even know if I could justify spending that kind of money on one meal I feel like for me personally there's been a huge shift in why and when I would go to a high-end restaurant and I think a lot of people are probably asking themselves that question too who could and and we are talking about a world that that is out of reach of a a lot of people it it is fair to say and and I I think it's fair to uh, 
you know, establish when we what we mean when we're talking about fine dining. We don't just mean, you know, a place that serves good food and has good service. It's it's those places that are trying to reach that sort of rarefied level of excellence, you know, that, <laughs> that are typically very expensive. Um, you know, the kind of multi-course thing. We heard it in the menu there that that, that movie really so brilliantly sends up that sort of almost reverence uh, that you, when you enter, it's a kind of hushed um, beauty to the place. And I think what has happened as well is there are so many fantastic ways to eat and experience different cultures in, uh, you know, we're so, so fortunate in Victoria that that idea of, um, you know, spending hundreds when you could enjoy something thrilling and exciting um, for just a fraction of that, I think that that becomes really not only hard to justify, but actually doesn't become that appealing to some people. This text, fine dining in the 80s and 90s heyday was about business being impressive for service. It was a tax relief. It disappeared. Lower cost restaurants became better value and better food. I rarely leave fine dining feeling like it was worth it. Experience must equals cost and cost value. That's from Simon. Another saying, fine dining, expensive with small quality of food. No thanks. I want to be full and satisfied. That's from Aaron. And the other thing is, who's got the time these days, Jeremy, right? So if you're talking five, ten course degustation, Mm -hmm. you're talking like four hours. Not only have we lost the art of conversation to be able to sit there for four hours, but who ha- not only who has the money, who has the time? Uh, I actually, counterpoint, <laughs> I think that there, there's something that um, my wife uh, and Congratulations, I... Congratulations. Thank you, recently got married. I think that's the first time I've ever said that. Um, really? That, yeah. That's the first time you said wife out loud. Yeah, I think so. Um, that's really quite strange. It, we really enjoy the idea that you're in a setting, and it doesn't have to be a fine dining setting, of course, but that you... All those distractions ebb away. And as someone says on the text line, it's not just one meal, it's an evening out for an experience. You could put the same price tag on a theatre ticket or a concert ticket. And I, I do think it is worth placing that value because this, we we sort of consider some things worth valuing over others and... Uh, we're not questioning, you know, the the future of, um, you know, the arts or the theatre in this sort of same way. Um, and I do think some people would see that value in sitting somewhere kind of beautiful and somewhere considered. John Lethlian, food writer, former restaurant writer for The Australian, is with you now. And, John, I feel like I've been reading your reviews for a very long time, and I think that ages both myself and you in the same sentence. But when we talk about the idea and the image of fine dining, and we've already had texts about the 80s and the 90s and the opulence and the long lunches and business people, how much... Has fine dining changed, do you think, in Victoria over the decades? Hi, Rochelle. I'll just go and get my walking stick. Yes, please um, do. That's right. My <laughs> hip, I, I'm, I can't get up either. My hip's cracked. <laughs> Look, I, I think Australia has done what Australia is really good at over the decades by sort of being a bowerbird of different ideas and and concepts from all over the world and bringing them back here and then sort of adapting them, morphing them into a a kind of an an Australian model. Um, So I think fine dining uh, has changed uh, a lot with with the confidence that um, Australian restaurateurs and chefs have developed uh, to, to do things their own way rather than slavishly copying uh, a European, presumably European model uh, that, you know, the, the caricature high French um, snooty, uh, snooty waiters surrounding uh, a, a massive table, you know, an island, an island in a huge dining room. Um, I, think, I think fine dining has changed and adapted uh, and morphed to become, uh, to become something special and unique to Australia, to be, to be perfectly honest. I think that's when this conversation that's been going around the world around fine dining, it's sort of referencing mm. that sort of French and Western ideas of what, you know, great value somehow is ascribed to. But in the Australian context, are we a little, as you say, like we've moved a, almost a little bit ahead of that where we've adapted it to our own context. It, it might look a little bit more casual uh, and feel a little bit more comfortable, but it still is achieving a quite, you know, remarkable level of excellence. 
Yeah, look, Jeremy, I mean, you're right. We, we, we sort of need to define the parameters a little of, of what fine mm. dining is. It's, I mean, it's not just about a massive price, you know, price ticket or what most of us would perceive to be a, a massive uh, bill at the end of the meal. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's about attention to detail. It's about staffing numbers. It's about the sort of staff that you have and what the specialist staff. It's, it, it's, you know, there are myriad factors to sort of take into account. <clears throat> but um, I, and this is a purely anecdotal observation, but at the very sort of, uh, at the very pinnacle of what's happening in Australia right now in the major cities, I don't see any shortage of demand for the, for the sort of experiences that are being offered up by the likes of Key in Sydney or Voudemont in Melbourne or Restaurant Botanic in um uh, in Adelaide, which is a, a classic example of a of a Noma inspired um, uh, alumna, alumnus uh, bringing his talent, uh, you know, to the to to the new world. Um, so I don't see any shortage of demand for for those super super high end experiences uh, that can frankly cost well, you know, you you, 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 can, you can, yeah 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 more than i can afford anyway um uh these sort of places that at the, at the very high end that are you know offering a really fabulous experience where that four hours that you were just talking about rochelle you know that where that four hours can actually just sort of seem to disappear as the, the wait staff and the the presentation and the ambience and the interaction with various uh staff and chefs and so forth where that can kind of all you know, that's a very valid part of the package. So um, I, for one, would be terribly sorry to see that these super high-end places disappear because, you know, they give, they provide, they provide an aspirational um, aspect to so many different trades, whether they're chefs, wait staff, uh, wine, wine staff. Uh, you know, we, we have to have aspirational, aspirational products to drag the rest of uh, the rest of the product up. John Lethlian is with you, food writer and former restaurant critic for The Australian. Let's go to Peter, who's in Oak Park. Hi, Peter. Is fine dining dying out, do you reckon? Well, look, I, I enjoy fine dining. What I don't enjoy is I've got a vegetarian partner who has a light appetite, and most of these places now it's either a degustation or a set menu. So, you know, I can't go because nothing suits my partner. And, of course, that's not to mention the exorbitant markup on wine. You know, wine I pay 40 50 bucks a bottle for is two to $300 on a wine list. It, it really sticks in your craw. So, therefore, I find myself now going to places that are not necessarily fine dining, good food, but give you that flexibility. And I think that's um, probably something that a lot of people are confronting. And actually, I think the wine aspect is a really interesting one because where once uh, sommeliers were able to use their knowledge and their sort of contacts and their reference points to create these wine lists that might feature things that people would never try. Now we have this thing, the internet, where we can search out, you know, we can buy things from all over the, the world and get them delivered to our house and... Uh, you know, as as just been said, can come at a fraction of the cost that you experience uh, at a restaurant. Uh, John, I'm interested. You mentioned you know demand around these restaurants and that that still isn't uh, abating. And it's certainly something when I've spoken to uh, you know chefs at sort of higher end restaurants, they a number of them have said no. The bookings are still very much coming in, and that that, that demand wasn't the issue for Noma, right? Like it's in Copenhagen, it's still booked out, and it will be booked out in the hardest ticket to get until the day it closes. So, what is going on then that is making someone as successful as the founder and owner Renee Redzepi say this isn't working, and we need to rethink this? A funny kind of murmur went around the world, Jeremy, when Rene Redzepi announced that the model uh, wasn't working and wasn't sustainable because the restaurant's quite famed and renowned for using large numbers of what the industry calls stagiaire. Uh, basically, people working for free, interns, and Noma was famous for it. So its labour bill uh was was not a real world labor bill so if uh, if it's not sustainable for Rene Redzepi with all that free labor but people you know scampering to get the word noma on their CVs um you know I do worry about it in 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 the sort of the real world context uh, and um 
you know, I did a little article last year, just sort of taking a uh, taking a, a metric of um, a set menu uh, for two people, a pre-dinner cocktail, a bottle of wine at a hundred dollars, which. Uh, your last caller, Peter, I'm sure, would tell you is very, very modest price, and a 10% on the bill, and we came up with some, you know, with some figures on what what uh, dinner at various high-end restaurants around Australia would cost, and it was quite staggering. I mean, mm. even to me, uh, you know, used to dumping down uh, a corporate credit card and walking <laughs> away. I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, Attica, for example, we came to $957. Um, uh, the sushi room in Brisbane, which is the most extraordinary restaurant, but you know that was just a shade off nine hundred bucks. I mean, they were just two examples of many. Um, I I am concerned that a lot of people are starting to uh, exp- starting to behave in the in the manner that Peter has just uh, expressed. You know, yeah. making alternative decisions um, because, uh, frankly, you know, to to pay that kind of money after tax. Is is the is the preserve of very few? Mm. It's a, you know, it's the Western Australian mining millionaires. Uh, yeah, market, well, that's it? it, and it's the image too. I mean, John Lethley and so many texts on this, and from both sides. There's one here that says, yeah. "Hello, I had a dinner last night at a fancy restaurant. Sorry, last weekend in South Yarra, but I actually felt guilty spending way too much money when there are so many people without enough." But another from Rebecca and Heidelberg, it says, "It's total value judgment to say that fine dining is not worth it." You are devaluing the years and years of experience that chefs and hospitality staff have spent years honing their craft, says Rebecca. And another saying, we still want excellent food and we're prepared to pay for it, but we prefer a more relaxed, casual setting for whatever the reason, says Lily in Brunswick. And I guess I'm certainly not saying it's not worth it because I agree with Rebecca in Heidelberg. It is I guess worth the money is just whether or not we feel if we can afford it, if it feels right to pay for it. And there's multiple reasons behind that. You know, whether you feel guilt, like Judy said, or whether you think, oh, I could buy a small, cheap, crappy car for that price. You know, <laughs> or, or what, where do I sit? I don't know. I feel like society and our social conscience is struggling with something like high-end fine dining at the moment. And I reckon quite possibly the restaurants themselves are struggling with this question because these, you know, these figures of hundreds of dollars, which when they were laid out in your article, John, you see them and you, you do wince a little bit and you think this is this is quite uh, remarkable, and yet this isn't necessarily coming from crazy markups. In fact, as we've talked about, the the model may not actually really be working. So it's sort of hitting this um, this threshold. It feels like where those restaurants themselves are not going to want to be charging five hundred dollars a meal, and yet that may be what's needed to have to produce this sort of food. Yeah, um, you know, it's always. Uh um, it's it's always fascinating to me that, that there, there are there are the, the actual it's the raw face of capitalism in the restaurant industry in this country. You know the barriers to entry are are, are, are pretty low in terms of you know you can get a liquor license if you don't have a criminal record. Um, you know if you've got the cash to go out and lease a, lease a, a, a space and employ staff, you can open a restaurant. And you know they, the, the comings and goings of you know a great risk for the for the for the media. Um, and I suspect that we are we are going to see a real capitalist uh, sort of you know, survival of the fittest scenario at the very high end. How many places will be left mm. um, come the end of what is hasn't been called a recession? But you know, we're all we're all experiencing hardship in terms of in in, in terms of uh, mortgage rates and uh, stagnant wages, etc. Uh, etc. Et we are in a we are in a historically in a time where the you know our, our central bank is t- saying don't go out and spend money in restaurants. Mm. You know, and uh, I'm I'm concerned that when you know when the pendulum when the pendulum swings on the economy, you know, will there still be places uh, that have been charging you know around a thousand dollars for a couple to have a modest night out? Uh, I, I hope so. I mean, I hope so in the way that you know. And a, a Toyota driver can always aspire to moving up to a Lexus and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I, hope that there's, I hope that there's something there to aim for. Yeah, I know. It's fascinating. John, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for your time.
Your pleasure. Have a lovely to chat to you guys. Too. See, uh, Cheers, John, John Lethley in there. And it's funny, you know, back when it was something that we did as often as we could afford, Jeremy, you know, John Lethlian's reviews, whether at the time it was for The Age, you'd hang on every word and if a new restaurant opened, you'd wait to see what he thought and whether or not that, I mean, Stephen Downs was the, for the Herald Sun and his nickname was Closing Downs, if you know, if you, if you got a bad review and this is what it was all about. But I wonder whether the image has changed, whether we have the right image of what fine dining is. There's a text here that says, who wants to eat foam and tiny pieces of ridiculously expensive fatty steak? But others talking about just how important it is, especially for regional communities. There's a text about how important it is along the Mornington Peninsula. Rochelle and Jeremy on the Mornington Peninsula, there are some lovely higher end restaurants and it's a pleasure to have such top quality venues and talented chefs and well-trained floor staff working there it would be a great loss if they didn't exist and you've done a lot of work especially for landline when it comes to the importance of fine dining for regional victoria yeah there's a there's a knock-on model that builds up around this so you actually don't need to care about these restaurants in fact you can find them almost a little bit repulsive and think well that's a crazy thing to spend a lot of money on but um you know the most notable example in victoria is the small town of biragara where this restaurant brace it's just outside of town and it employs this small army of chefs. They all live and work locally. Uh, they spend money at the pub, but also the v- restaurant itself. It uh, you know it's trades people who work at that place. It's taxi drivers. It's money into the local school. Little economies actually build up around yeah. these places, and also culturally, they become a staging point for local agriculture as well. So you can go and feel like you can experience that place through the food and the producer is just down the road and they have been offered this whole new opportunity to sell cuts of their meat or veggies or whatever it may be that suddenly you can experience in this in this kind of landing space. And I actually really um, believe in that model. I mean, I, I was in a, um, a really small restaurant uh, in Tasmania that was run by uh, basically a couple and then one junior chef. But since it's come in this small little corner of Tasmania, um, this oyster, this 60-year-old oyster farmer down the road has had the confidence to open up a almost like a cellar door for oysters, basically, because so many people were coming from the restaurant saying, I've just tried your oysters, I want to wow. try more. And she's now selling more, pe- more oysters to people who've been to the restaurant than yeah. to the restaurant itself. So it does actually service other parts of the economy, and I think it is a little bit easy to be quite cynical about it. 100%. And if I guess if you look at fine dining as a pyramid and the very, very top of the pyramid is the very few people in our society that is going and experiencing that restaurant as in the four hours of degustation. But if you work your way down the pyramid, the amount of people and the flow on effects and those that benefit... That's where we maybe feel or possibly don't know that there's a, a stronger connection. Claire's in Kilsyth. Hi, Claire. Hi, Rochelle and Jeremy. Yes, I was ringing up. Now, to me, fine dining stopped after in the 1970s. <laughs> uh, the Pickwick, a fantastic restaurant that was in South Yarra. You were, I was younger then. You were made to feel welcome. It wasn't toffee-nosed or anything. It was just lovely. Everything was presented beautifully, it was lovely. Then came in the 80s and 90s where they somehow managed to divide a broccoli floret up into eight pieces, you know, artistically done at the table, and it was just ridiculous. Now, as an older person, I still like to go out for dinner. I've lost my husband. I go with a girlfriend. We don't care what it costs us, but I would just like some real service, not gratingly over the top Mm. but just service to uh, two women older and we do have a bottle of wine we do spend money but really we're treated very much like second-class citizens the men often there's uh, tables of men they get far better service than we do and you can see it yeah, and I wonder how much of that is sort of about the invisibility effect of, of women at a certain age or if there's a stereotype around who's eating or the type of dining as well. And one real uh, issue that the industry is facing is, um, you know, staff getting the right numbers of staff but getting the right people and paying them fairly so that they are, you know, incentivized to stay on and really care about 
um, you know, that business, we've seen this big ex- exodus from hospitality. And so um, I think that's actually a real tension point for fine dining as well. This it says, I'm a chef by trade in my younger years. I cooked in some of Australia's and the world's best restaurants. My time off was devouring Michelin stars. I respect the food and the craft that fine dining is. However, now I rarely eat at these establishments. I have neither the time or the patience to sit through multiple courses. I'm far happier eating at lower class restaurants, wine bars, etc., where their share plates are just the norm. The energy is loud and hectic and the wallet feels a lot better for it. There's still a place for it and always will be. But what we know is fine dining and we have to pivot to change with the times. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. Is there still a place for high-end fine dining? Do you go? Who goes? Does it serve a purpose? And if it does die off, as many critics are saying, do we stand to lose anything? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Whether it be the new film, The Menu, whether it be the closure of Noma, one of the world's most renowned and celebrated restaurants shutting down, many within the sector are saying that fine dining is only steps away from dying, that there is the industry just doesn't stand up anymore, that we are moving away from fine dining. So is that the case? Does it need a rebrand or do we want to eat in different ways? one three hundred triple two seven seven four. 444 Gabriel Gatte, chef, author, TV presenter. Gabriel, many people already have spoken about fine dining and when it first and how it first established itself here in Australia and in Victoria. And we were very much influenced by the French model. I guess, is that still held up as the epitome of fine dining is the way the French do it? Well, I think what you, uh, bonjour, uh, Richelle and Jeremy. Bonjour. I think what you have got to look is that any, most chefs in the world, when they go to a college, they learn uh, the, the French cuisine. They learn the techniques of French cuisine. So that, that's where it came from. And of course, uh, France has got a, a great tradition of fine dining, of beautiful food, of, of uh, exquisite service, of fabulous crockery and, and great views. So if you want the French have, perf- have, have perfected a style of dining that is a great source of in- entertainment for many senses, and when you think of fine dining, you've got to think that there's going to be an evolution. And it is also very fashionable. Uh, social media will, will you know, want, a, you know, there will be an influence from that. The press will influence. But the reality is, is that there's never been so many uh, good chefs, good food served in Australia and in the world. And there's never been so much publicity for the top restaurants. And uh, it, uh, of course, we know that uh, an international brand is closing in Australia. But it's not the first time that uh, that kind of restaurant is closing because there's maybe not enough attention from the top, where actually the, the restaurateurs in Australia, the ones in Melbourne that we know well, they're opening restaurants after restaurants that with fittings of several million dollars. And they are all doing very well, and they are really providing fine dining. And we are talking about Scott Pickett, we are talking about uh, Andrew McConnell, we are talking about many others um, that, that provide interesting, entertaining places to go that are very different from the white tablecloth that some people are referring mm-hmm. to as the fine dining. It certainly looks and feels quite a bit different, I imagine. Now, are you, you, as somebody who's sort of, you know, studied food traditions and and thought thought a lot about um, the sort of evolution of food, as you say, are you a believer in the idea that what happens in a fine dining context or those higher-end places where almost research and development goes into the food as well as study and history, are you a believer that that can actually, what happens in those restaurants can then filter through not only uh, over the years into other restaurants but actually even into our own kitchens and the way that we cook ourselves at home? Certainly. I mean, look at the success of uh, MasterChef and yes. uh, other cookery shows where they have got the, the leaders of uh, you know the, the Anglo cooking world um, showing the skills that many of them, of course, have also learned you know, uh, from French cuisine um, and then adapted to uh, their country with the modern, modern cuisine. Uh, the, the population in general is more interested in... Uh, 
in being creative with cooking than than the population was when I arrived in Australia 40 years ago, where, where at the time it was, you know, uh, meat and free veg. Now it is uh, a lot more sophisticated than that, and uh, people uh, expect more sophistication, but there is some generations, of course, that uh, find it hard to adapt to the generation in the same way as as you know, uh, IT, uh, same way as it's hard for uh, you know the older generation to adapt to the speed at which you have got to learn new equipment, you know, with your phone and, and computers. So yeah. uh, you, there's a there's a generation there's a food for a generation, and the restaurants that are popular now are restaurants that appeal to the generations of the 25 to the 50 that uh, have a little bit of money and that uh, want to be entertained, that don't mind a little bit of noise, hmm. uh, because lots of the modern restaurants are a little bit too noisy for my taste. I it's, thought that was just me. And yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, now when my friends bag me out and say, Brish, come on, you're just getting old, and we say, Gabriel Gatte agrees with me that this restaurant <laughs> is just far <laughs> too noisy. I could be your, your dad, practically, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with us because Maria has called through as well. She's in Armadale. Hi, Maria. Hello. Um, look, what I would like to um, uh, put, would like to say, I don't have a problem about the high-class dining and paying the price. What I object when they say they have two sittings. You go to these restaurants and you're paying $500 and you either have to be there at 6 o'clock or, or 8.30. I will never, ever go to these restaurants. And uh, I agree with the other gentleman. The service, they're too fast. The waiters can't wait to get rid of you so that they can go home. And too noisy. <laughs> there is not that elegance anymore. There is no that sitting there and experience a beautiful dinner. None of that. Not unless, of course, you go to View de Monde or Entrecotes and places like that, which is uh, I enjoy, but the other you can't afford to go to those restaurants every That's week. right. And there's definitely yeah a generational sort of expectation. Elegance or difference. is an interesting word, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, what what may be um, sort of the level of comfort for some may actually make other people quite. You know, if you're in your early uh, into mid twenties and you can probably feel um, as much identified with the, the wait, wait staff as, as anyone else. You know, do you want a napkin put across your, your legs? Do you well, want a, yeah, a guess... chair pulled out? Uh, but I do think that one thing that people are sort of pushing back on is this culture that's almost built up around fine dining where it is like the sitting times things that Maria references where you have to book it as if it's a nightclub ticket or a concert, that sort of thing, uh, that real scenesy sort of vibe, I think people are starting to reject quite a bit. Just finally, Gabriel Gatte, I mean, there has been story after story, article after article that we are living through the death of fine dining. Do you agree? Or is it just no. rebranding in some way? No, I, I think it is part of the press to to come up with, um, you know, something that is finished. But it because it's an evolution, so it is being replaced by, fine dining is replaced by fine dining, replaced by fine dining in a slightly different form with different generations that, that will promote it. But seriously, there's so many more restaurants per population, better restaurants per population now than there were uh, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. So it is it is a, a moving industry that is suffering because of shortage of staff. And that's, what, that's why we have got the two seatings because um, they, they need to make money in less time. And it is, uh, I, I think that, Fine dining is there to stay, and, and forever. It, it started three or four hundred years ago, and every generation is talking about the same story. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your perspective and your, your history and knowledge um, of this area. As you say, it may uh, be evolving, but it might just look a little bit different in the future. Gabriel Gatte, yeah. thank you so much for joining us on the Conversation Hour. Thank you. We started this 
conversation with a reference to the menu, you know, the new film mm. that's out. And lots of people saying, oh, my God, that film. I can't wait. I'm going to watch it on the weekend. I'm so excited. But this is from Geraldine. It says, instead of the menu, watch the triangle of sadness for an example of the excesses of fine dining. Look what happened to those guests. And the captain settled for a burger and fries. I don't know the film, but mm. I kind of want to watch it's it on now. on my list. Now, Angeline is in Dalesford, a part of the world and a part of Victoria that uh, is very fortunate uh, to have some some great restaurants there and is in, in many ways ha- has a sort of defining impact on that area. Angeline, what would you like to share with the program? Uh, well, hello and good afternoon. No, it's not afternoon yet. <laughs> Close. Um, uh, almost. Well, we uh, moved up to Dalesford, I think, about four years ago and there are so many beautiful accommodation properties up there and we own one of them, which is called Poets Lodge. We have so many amazing guests who drive up to Dalesford for the weekend, dine in one of the numerous fine dining restaurants up there, to mention the Lake House, Kedota, and basically the whole town is this circle of love, the farmers growing the vegetables, selling them to the restaurants, using lots of local waiters and staff and chefs, and then all those people that are coming up, then again, shopping in the shops, staying in our property. So I think it, fine dining is just an elegant treat for people that they need every now and again, and it will hopefully be here to stay. And I think, Angelina, you're so right, and we spoke about if it does die off, right? So you may firmly believe that it's over-the-top, overpriced, grotesque, vulgar, all of those words that are used. But then if you start to break it down what do you stand to lose? And especially for regional Vic and entire little economies that have been, not even little anymore, economies that have been built around it, then you stand to lose a lot, I guess. And there are ways, I think, that people are discovering to do this that may look a little bit smaller, that may only be open for a a couple of sittings a week, but they work very closely with uh, local producers. They might not actually have as many staff as historically we've seen in those sort of higher-end restaurants. You may see couples and just maybe one or two other people running these restaurants, um, as is the case in a couple of restaurants here and in Tasmania, but that can still have Mm. such a specialness to it and uh, and a regionality to it that actually celebrates um, place. So I think I think it yeah it, it is super important that we preserve that. This is interesting, and this is what you and I spoke about off air, Jeremy. It's from Nick in Gisborne. It says I've experienced many fine dining restaurants, and there are often two types of customers: the clearly rich who take it for granted and do it as a part of fashion, and those who have saved, who have researched, and are there for a great experience. Some are overpriced, especially in Australia, but the best experience of my life has been in some of the best restaurants in the world, often as a part of an overseas trip. And that is so true. You know, you and I both have got that experience of, you know, my mum and my husband and I, once a year when my mum was alive, we came up with this idea of let's not give each other Christmas presents, but let's treat ourselves to a really fancy restaurant. You know, let's go out and pretend to be people that we're not. <laughs> 100%. And uh, my family did that in in lieu of presents. Although a couple of years ago, we sort of, um, I think we just got a, a little bit jaded and a little bit, uh, that wasn't necessarily how we wanted to do it. And I'd rather get my, you know, face blown off by a sort of northern Thai dish or a, a Mauritian restaurant, something like that. So, yeah, it's, it, it is it, it, having those special experiences. We're actually so lucky to have so many different types of eating experiences that maybe um, there are other ways to feel excitement that don't necessarily come with that price tag. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're talking about the death of fine dining. Is it happening or is it just a lot of hype that's happening around the world? And if it does start to slow down, what do we stand to lose? And why is that appetite disappearing, whether it be a shift in how we think as a result of the pandemic, cost of living, or that we just want a different experience from food? Danny Valent, food writer, creator of the podcast Dirty Linen. Danny, you know, we spoke earlier with John Lethlian and he sort of spoke about the model that's used by Noma and the fact that trainees there are underpaid paid. How much of this has got to do, I guess, with a little bit of our distaste now from some of the information that came to light about staff underpayment or how the restaurant model had to work in order to make a profit? Yeah, I think a lot of consumers are thinking about ethical spending in all kinds of arenas, whether it's fashion and steering away from from fast fashion and underpaid workers. And I think you can 
easily apply that same concerns to fine dining. So I think there is a little bit of that. Uh, but yeah, people are wanting their dollars to be spent in a way that makes them feel good, not just because they've had something interesting to eat, but because they know that, you know, all the people that are engaged with that experience are being, yeah, fairly recompensed. And how much do you, I mean, your your reviews so often spotlight uh, cuisines and from different cultures and um, restaurants that don't necessarily fit in that tier. So how much does this overlay with our changing uh, understanding and sort of appreciation of things that don't necessarily fit in that traditional Western or sort of Anglo-French um, canon of, of what we used to think as being the thing that was worth valuing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting topic and something that I feel like I grapple with all the time. Um, I think we are, as diners, you know, appreciating all kinds of different tiers of dining or different ways of spending our money, different ways of appreciating the craft that goes into dining at all levels. So, you know, just because food is less expensive or the environment is less fancy, it doesn't mean that there's not the same sort of thought and toil and culture and heritage in that in that experience so yeah i think it's um it's it's, whenever you start thinking about food you're always (laughs) grappling with um different the, the value that's put on different elements all along that sort of supply chain and i think yeah there's you can i think it's really important to value culture and yeah produce and the way that um yeah, just the thought that goes into any sort of dining experience, whether it's something that's, you know, really intimate and, and tiny and, and humble or something that's aiming to be much grander and, and create, um, yeah, more of that traditional dining experience that we that we think about when we say the words fine dining. Mm. Do you think that some of these higher-end uh, restaurateurs are grappling with that idea too, that when, you know, maybe the most the sort of buzziest restaurant in the city or something or even mm. in the country is not actually a fine diner, it, it might be a, you know... A shed somewhere. A, a, <laughs> yeah, or, you know, a Thai restaurant uh, like in a car park or... Do you think that some of these bigger uh, operators who who have to charge by the the basis of their business model in the hundreds that they're questioning? Well, why is it we're doing this when um, you know maybe the the kind of cultural world is is moving a little bit away from this? They're definitely grappling with it. I mean, they have to, and I think even you know a lot of people that work in those restaurants, if they think about where they would go, you know, for a good night out, they'd be going to somewhere that's much more casual. So I think, yeah, they're grappling with it because, you know, they think about where they might want to eat or where their customer, what sort of experience their customers might want when, you know, generally society's becoming a bit less formal and we love to, you know, shake it up a bit. Um, but I think, you know, the price model also makes it, you know, you just you just have to keep grappling with it. You have to keep adjusting. You have to keep working out what is worth investing in. Um, but I, I also think that people will want to hang on to a lot of those um, trappings of fine dining simply because there are so many great skills and such a depth of knowledge that goes with it. You think about some of, you know, if you think about, you know, seeing fine dining in an old movie and, and uh, you know, the waiter flambéing something at the table or filleting mm. a fish, uh, I mean, those skills are awesome and it would be a shame if yeah. they were completely lost. So I think there are definitely things to that we want to hang on to or preserve, but it's just how what sort of business model stacks up to support that. And absolutely. I, f- I feel like it's just in a moment of change. It, you know, it really is. Danny Valente, we know you're on holidays and camping at the moment, so thanks so much <laughs> for taking some time out and having a chat with us. <laughs> oh, good. See you, Danny Valente, food writer, creator of podcast Dirty Linen. This text here, I love this, fine dining. In the words of Miss Piggy, pretentious moi? <laughs> <laughs> I really like this thinking about um, a camping holiday and how that would be quite nice to be uh, on at the moment. Uh, from Miriam and Sal, I don't have anything against fine dining. I just don't understand it. Heaven is fish and chips outside on the pier with albatross dancing on the wind in the distance. How could you possibly top that? And when we talk about those shifts and changes that we've seen in the decades with fine dining, and I referenced earlier the 2000s, you know, the peak of the celebrity chef, and I wonder how many people were going and experiencing fine dining back then, not before the restaurant and the food, but because it was a bit kind of it and seen. And I do feel like the idea of going just for the chef has shifted away. It's more about yeah. produce and food. But when we think about the celebrity chef, this so this is one of the classics, right? This is Marco Pierre White. You may know him from 
a master chef. He's kind of like, he's actually sort of become a little bit more subdued, I think, as he's got older. But he's quite known for being very over the top uh, and telling people how he thinks. But this is a classic act of Marco Pierre White. Marco Pierre White. Love for people who make rude comments. Sorry, sorry, do apologise. Unfortunately, we won't be serving you any more food this evening um, because the lady was rude to Marco. What lady? The lady who's sitting with you. Well, my wife yes. was rude to Marco. Yes. What, to his face? Yes. No. And when? What's this now? Yes. He was very strange at kicking people out of the restaurant for their comments. Please don't tell Marco because I don't want to be thrown out. I've already seen him. He's throwing someone out tonight. I wonder how many people actually went to his restaurant because it was like, it was almost, you know, like the Seinfeld episode of the Soup Nazi when you just, you, oh my gosh, you have to be so careful here because <laughs> you might offend him and he might kick you out of his restaurant. But I don't know whether people are going for that celebrity chef factor. Yeah, anymore. I think we've probably moved a little bit away. There's a bit of ick with that. Even the sort of uh, molecular gastronomy wave that we went through where, um, you know, we somehow Heston Blumenthal's name became this kind of thing and this idea of foams and bubbles. And Am I really eating an apple or is yeah. it steak? And the problem, you know, with tricks is that once you've seen them once or twice, their effect sort of wears off. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I actually kind of hope that we've maybe moved away from that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still value people who've really cra- worked at their craft over so many years and and are serving something excellent that is informed by a lot of hard work. This text, I've been to Bray, then to Van Bone in Tasmania. A treat, expensive but both amazing, was just speaking last night to someone whose sister had moved to Tasmania and to Marin Bay. The industry has evolved and it now it supports the local farmers as well as the, the restaurants opening. It proves the effectiveness of the business model. And we're talking about regional areas here. Well, Michael Ryan is a Beechworth-based chef. He is behind a two-hatted restaurant called Provenance. Michael, we've spoken a lot today about the importance of fine dining. You know, do we stand to lose anything if it dies out? And I sort of my gut feeling is regional Victoria would stand to lose more because the entire community can benefit from it. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly um, those sort of calibre restaurants can become um, um, like sort of draw cards for small regional towns. And in fact, you get a lot of businesses building up and around and next to those those draw card venues. So they are important to the town. But in terms of the, like, I don't, I've been cooking for quite a few years and the number of articles that I've seen, the end of fine dining, it's um, <laughs> like it's a cyclical thing that happens every year. Uh, you know, five, ten years. Yeah, yeah, it's just this constant. And sure, probably more to the point is that it changes like that and if it doesn't of course it'll be the death of fine dining but you know what makes a good restaurateur is somebody who adapts to um changing climates changing situations changing um you know wants and needs well how have you changed in beechworth uh look i think like you know you're just talking about molecular gastronomy all that stuff really that stuff is from like the realistically from the 90s so it's over 20 years old and like any restaurant sort of doing that sort of food now is is incredibly dated and so restaurants tend to be and of course you know the produce and all that stuff it's almost a given now you you have access to such good produce if you're not using it then you know you're not even playing in the game so it's more about creating that whole experience and really you sort of sort of quite naturalistic in terms of the presentation and the, the preparation of the food. And just, um, yeah, and so saying it, you know, back to the celebrity chef and all that sort of mm. stuff, it, and the, and then saying it's not about the chef, it's about producing the food, It's but it's about so much more than that. It's about the front of house, it's about the, the ambiance and the experience, and it's a total package, and that's, I guess, um, when we talk about front of house, though, I mean, when we say, well, articles written about the death of fine dining, I guess we've run out of the amount of articles and the amount of times we've spoken about how there is just no front of house, that we have such a huge staff shortage when it comes to hospitality. That would have a bigger impact, I would imagine, on high-end fine dining when, as you say, Michael, we're not just paying for the chef's experience and for all of the thought and research that goes into the food and for the incredible produce. We're paying for service out the front. Is it getting harder and harder to get that level of service given we have such a, a crisis? Uh, yes, yes, obviously it is. Like the, the staffing crisis is a 
a real issue and it's something that we'll be dealing with probably for another at least five, ten years unless there's some serious changes made. But um, we've been fortunate in our business to keep our staff quite long term. So it's not something we've personally had to deal with too much. You know, casuals and, and so forth are pretty hard positions to fill. But, um, yeah, it, it's a tough one. and I don't know mm. the solution to it myself. Without sort of going too highfalutin here, like there is a cultural uh, aspect to fine dining in in the same way that um, you know pursuing other artistic kind of endeavours to their like highest degree represents something for the culture, um, and and your your food is influenced by you know Japanese cooking, which has a real cultural significance on um, certain types of fine dining. So do you think that uh, if that sort of lane, that type of uh, that type of fine dining is worth preserving to, for some sort of a cultural reason that might seem a bit abstract? Oh, look, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Certainly in terms of, you know, um, furthering technique and, and skills and stuff that you may not, you know, garner in a, in a, working in a cafe or something like that, you'll, you'll develop more skills in a restaurant doing more sort of technical, more refined food. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's one or the other in terms of the industry. I think, you know, what is great about the restaurant industry, particularly in Australia, is that, you know, at all levels is there's mm-hmm. good quality. So, you know, I don't think saying we will not have fine dining. You'll, you'll always have a whole full section will. of restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. No problem. See, I'm Michael Ryan there. He's a restaurant, too, had a restaurant, Provenance in Beechworth. Liz is in Newport. Hi, Liz. Oh, hi. <clears throat> yeah, it's, a, it's a, such an interesting topic um, for me as an ex-hospo person who's worked in um, Melbourne's best restaurants in the late 80s and 90s. Uh, and, yeah, when, when I go out to fine dining, which is not really so often these days because I actually find myself looking at looking for um, pubs more than, than anything. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel that there's a drama, a bit of drama that's missing, mm. a bit of gravitas, uh, and that's sort of what I'm looking for if I'm going to find dining. I miss that's probably what I miss the most about the theatrics, you know, yeah. and that it's something really different as well. I know, I know, and it's been funny, Jeremy Story Carter, talking to all of these people today and trying to sort of figure out whether or not we stand to lose anything if it does die out. All of a sudden, I've got a real hankering <laughs> to go to a really high-end fine dining restaurant, and I haven't had that Yeah, for can ages. you um, spot us 500 bucks? Yeah, I that's might, it. Yeah, we have one of those. Well, long. that's the thing. And it, it, it is it's five hundred bucks per head to you, go. Who's got that which kind is of spondoli? And, and it's also even if you did it, it's an uncomfortable thing to admit out loud. Frankly, that's right. Um, so I think it has tossed up a lot of kind of like cultural tensions in a way. Not just uh, you know the treatment and the payment of staff, uh, what it does for our culture, but also yeah, these the positive benefits that can have to regional communities. We've we've certainly heard today. So it's it's. It's confusing and it's nebulous, but as Michael Ryan says, it's probably always going to be there in some form. It just might look a little bit different. And as Judy said, she went to a high-end restaurant just on the weekend but then felt guilty about it. So maybe you're going and you're just not telling anyone. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.